Well, let me ask you a question today as we begin. Do you dream of a Savior who is kind and gentle? Do you really want to believe that Jesus is as good as he says he is? Or have you heard that he's just moody, cranky all the time, angry, and frankly, just plain sick and tired of you? Can you dare believe he is as good as he says he is? That's one question. Now let me ask you another question. Do you want to be like Jesus? I hope the answer to that is yes. Don't we all want to be like Jesus? That should be the heart cry of every Christian. Well, if you want to be like Jesus, be gentle. If you want to be like Jesus, then the starting place is gentleness. And that's probably one of the greatest needs in the church today. Gentleness. Especially in our cultural climate. I mean, what happened to gentleness. What happened to gentleness? Now, of course, we may not identify gentleness as a major need in the church right now. I mean, after all, it kind of sounds wimpy, right? Who wants to be known as a gentle person? We live in a world that prizes manliness and strength and power and fortitude. I mean, who wants a gentle leader? And yet gentleness is perhaps the most neglected virtue among Christians today. And it happens to be one of the fruits of the Spirit. I mean, think about that. The Holy Spirit prizes gentleness. Our culture may not, we may not, but the Holy Spirit prizes gentleness. And the Holy Spirit longs for you to bear the fruit of gentleness in your life. And then on top of that... This is how Jesus described himself in Matthew chapter 11. It was our call to worship today. Jesus, what are you like? Tell us. Well, he says in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is gentle. And I don't think that that means that Jesus is wimpy. Or as if he's some kind of pansy, a softy. You know, his hands are soft. They smell like strawberry lotion, right? No, far from that. If we want to be like Jesus and he is self-described as being gentle, then we need to be gentle. And so perhaps one of the greatest needs of the church today, perhaps the greatest need of our church, is the virtue of gentleness. Now, I know that won't sell books, right? And you won't hear some conference with the theme of gentleness. I mean, who's going to that conference, right? (laughs) But it's what the church needs, and it's what the world needs to see in the church So let me ask you a question, and I'll provide the answer for you since this is the first service and we're just barely waking up. Want to be like Jesus? Be gentle. And contrary to how you might view the Apostle Paul, he was a gentle, meek, and humble man. It's how he did ministry. 
Paul valued the virtue of gentleness because he knew Jesus intimately. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we finally made it. We're actually going to end 2 Corinthians before the end of the year, believe it or not, Lord willing. We're finally in chapter 10. Look at verse 1 and hear the word of the Lord. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. So notice the first thing is that Paul is addressing the whole church here. The you here in verse 1 is plural in the Greek. Paul isn't just writing, writing to a select group in the church. He isn't just writing to the elders. He's writing to the entire church body, and he is giving them guidelines about how to confront and deal with the super apostles, that group of false teachers who'd invaded the Corinthian church and had bewitched some of them. So starting at this point in the letter, in chapter 10, Paul is going to change his tone a little, and he's going to go full steam ahead on confronting the super apostles from chapter 10, verse 1, all the way to the end of the book. He's not going to pull any punches. He is going to get in their face, and he is going to call them out. But how does Paul begin addressing those Corinthians who have sided with the super apostles? He is gentle with them. Wow. I mean, some of these people, some of these people are close friends with Paul. He planted this church in Corinth. He knows these people. Some of them are his close friends, and they have sided now with the super apostles and have stabbed Paul in the back, and here he entreats them. This word implies deep emotion, like a father urging his children. Paul urges this church to hear his fatherly heart. In fact, it's very emphatic. You can see it in verse 1. Paul says, I, Paul, myself entreat you. It's as if Paul is saying, it's me, Paul. Remember me? I labored among you. I baptized your children at kickback. I stood at your bedside and prayed with you. I received your phone call at 2 a.m. and gave you counsel. I preached the word of God to you. It's me, Paul, your spiritual father, begging you to listen to me. But notice, too, that it's not really Paul's heart at all, is it? It's the heart of Jesus flowing through Paul's heart to this church that he planted because he says he's entreating them by the meekness and gentleness of of Christ. These true Greek words are, are very similar. They really go together. And together, Murray Harris, a commentator, says together they refer to a calm, gracious disposition that is not given to retaliation or malice. Now let me read that again because that's typically not how we were applied to people in our roundabouts, is it? A calm, Gracious disposition that is not given to retaliation or malice? That's Paul. That's the heart of Jesus Christ flowing through Paul to this church. Even though some people have stabbed him in the back, he's gracious with them and he does not retaliate. Wow. We don't do that so well, do we? All right, let's move on. This is too convicting. But Paul is gracious with the Corinthians. And that's probably not our default picture of Paul. I mean, when you read the, the book of Acts, Paul is bold. He is daring. He takes risks for the gospel. He's fearless. He's driven. He's like a bulldog. 
but he's also gentle and he's humble and he's kind. Now, the only picture we have of Paul is what we read in Scripture, and that picture is of a very passionate man. He loved the gospel. He loved to defend the gospel. You pick that up on his letters. You read about that in the book of Acts. But we do have one more extra-biblical description of Paul. It's not found in the Bible. It comes from the apocryphal book called The Acts of Paul and Thecla. So here's the only other description we have in writing of the Apostle Paul, and listen to how it describes him. He was a man rather small in size, bald-headed, bow-legged, with meeting eyebrows, a large red and somewhat hooked nose, strongly built. He was full of grace, for at times he looked like a man, at times like an angel. So what did the Apostle Paul look like? Most likely short, bald, bow-legged, unibrow, (laughs) and a big red crooked nose and stocky. I hope I haven't shattered your image of him, but I probably have, haven't I? Now, we don't know for sure if this is what Paul looked like, but it's all we have. But how else is he described? Full of grace and at times like an angel. Paul, as he says here in verse 1, was gentle. He was not brash, mean. He was not given to angry outbursts. He had a steel spine, yes, In fact, that is very evident in the book of Acts, isn't it? But not only did Paul have a steel spine, he also had a soft heart. And we often miss that in how we picture him. But just because Paul was meek and gentle does not mean that Paul was soft-spoken and wimpy. And so understand this. Meekness does not mean weakness, And gentleness does not mean weakness. If someone confronts you and they are gentle and humble and meek about it, don't mistake that for weakness. The last time I checked, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. And I checked again this morning. The Holy Spirit prizes gentleness. It's in the top nine things that He wants to produce in your life. And because gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, then that means that we can all be gentle. We can all get in on this gentleness thing. Gentleness is not some personality trait like, oh, he's such a gentle person. It's his personality. I wish I was like him, but no. Dane Ortland says, gentleness is essential to Christian living. It is not an add-on. It is one of the few indisputable evidences of the Holy Spirit alive and well within someone. Gentleness is not just for some Christians, those wired in a certain way. It cannot merely be an inherent character trait, a result of personality or genetic predisposition, because it is listed as part of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Looked at another way, nowhere in the New Testament's list of spiritual gifts is gentleness identified as one such gift. It is not a gift of the Spirit for a few. It is the fruit of the Spirit for all. To be gentle is to become who we were meant to be. That is, to return to who we once were in Eden. So if gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit and not a gift of the Spirit and not a personality trait for just a select people, a select few, 
then how in the world do we all become gentle people? Here's the answer. We learn gentleness by observing Jesus, how Jesus was gentle, how he was lowly in heart, and then we follow him as a disciple. That's how we become gentle. We observe Jesus, how he was gentle and lowly in heart, and then we imitate him and we follow him in that as a disciple. Gentleness is not something that some people are born with. And if you weren't born with it, then tough luck, buddy. It's not a virtue only to be found in short, bald, and bow-legged men with unibrows. And it's not some guaranteed aspect of figuring out your Enneagram number. Like you take it, it's like, yeah, I'm a four. That means I'm gentle. And I don't know if fours are gentle. I don't know. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a character trait that the Spirit of God produces in us as we observe Jesus, as we spend time with Him, as we read about Him in Scripture, as we read about Him in the Gospels. That means then that gentleness can be found equally in some world champion bodybuilder with veins popping out of his very tanned muscles. And it can be found in little old ladies who need help crossing the street. And it can be found in awkward teenagers who are just trying to figure out who they are in this world. And it can be found in little kids who struggle to share their M&Ms with their siblings. It's for everyone. Now let me tell you this about your leadership here at Grace. Specifically, the men who serve as our elders. Your elders here at Grace exemplify 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. They lead and shepherd you with the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And it's not like they're a bunch of soft-spoken, timid men. I mean, at least three of them are in law enforcement. They carry guns for a living. They deal with bad guys. They're not wimps, but they are gentle. Those who are currently serving as elders and those who are on a sabbatical right now, let me tell you that they are gentle like Jesus. In 10 years, I have never seen one elder blow up, have an angry outburst at someone, scream or yell. And we disagree with each other sometimes. But even when we disagree with one another, I have never seen any of them exemplify anything less than the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And I have seen them endure endure undue criticism and slander and accusations. And every single time I have seen them doing what Paul does here. And they entreat others with the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Listen, God has been good to us here at Grace in giving us such caring, wise, and godly shepherds in our elders. Are they perfect? No. Do they make mistakes? Yes. Do they always make the right decisions? No. Are they my boss? Yes. (laughs) And I just said those things about them. But they have the heart of Christ for you. They have the heart of Jesus for you. Now, I mentioned in last week's sermon that sometimes you just have to stop and thank God, whatever you're doing. I think we should stop the sermon for just a second and thank God for our elders. So let me pray and thank God for gifting us for these men. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your kindness to us in giving us such godly, gentle men who shepherd and care for and lead this church body. Uh, You've been so good to us. Thank you, Lord, that they even continue to serve when they have to endure undue and unfair criticism and slander and accusations. Thank you that they serve this, your church body, your bride, with the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Give them strength and endurance, Lord, to keep serving us well, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. See, sometimes you even have to stop in the middle of a sermon and thank God for something. All right, back to the sermon. Paul understood that gentleness was a key element to pastoral leadership in a church. And here's why gentleness is a key ingredient in ministry. Jack Miller said this, gentleness wakes up people trapped in the snares of the devil. That's interesting. Think about it. Gentleness wakes up people who have been trapped in the snares of the devil. And that's what Paul is doing in verse 1. He's appealing to the Corinthians with the meekness and gentleness of Christ because he knows that gentleness, not strong-arming, not yelling, not threatening, gentleness is what wakes up people who have been trapped in the ensnares of the devil. And some of the Corinthians were trapped and had been bewitched by these super-apostles. And this is true for any relationship, isn't it? Gentleness is key in restoring wayward people. Parents, gentleness is key in dealing with your wayward children. Being gentle and appealing to your kids with the meekness and gentleness of Christ is crucial. Now, this is hard, isn't it, parents? It's very hard. We think if we elevate our voices, then we'll be successful. But gentleness has a way of disarming people. As the band Smashing Pumpkins sing, disarm you with a smile. And isn't that what Jesus does for us? He disarms us with a smile. He disarms us with gentleness. Listen, there isn't anyone gentler with us than Jesus is. His gentleness is evident to anyone who gets even remotely close to him. Jesus just oozes gentleness. And there's no one as welcoming of sinners and as kind to the broken or as understanding of strugglers than our Savior. He's gentle yet persistent. He's gentle but he's firm. He's gentle and he is so very Powerful. In other words, he's not a wimp. And that means then that meekness and gentleness is true Christianity. Where you see these two virtues in abundance, you will see and you will sense and you will feel the Spirit's presence. Whenever you encounter meekness and gentleness, then you know that the Spirit of God is at work. It's the clearest evidence of the Spirit's work, which is why it is true Christianity. It's the clearest evidence. The fruit of the Spirit is the clearest evidence we see of the Spirit's work. Now, some of our brothers and sisters in Christ want to look elsewhere, right, for some wild and crazy things going on and say, see, the Spirit's working. Maybe, but I can guarantee you this, where you see those four 
those uh, nine gifts, the fruits listed in Galatians 5, 23, then you know the Spirit of God is at work here. And isn't this what we want for grace? Don't we want the culture and the vibe and the feel of this church to be meekness and gentleness? I mean, what if people came in here and they sensed and they felt the meekness and gentleness of Jesus? That would mean we're hitting a home run. That would mean that our church is a church culture of green pastures and still waters. Meekness and gentleness, that's the heart of of Jesus on display in and through a church family. So will you join me in praying that we declare and demonstrate the meekness and gentleness of Jesus? By the way, that would make a great mission statement for a church, wouldn't it? Declaring and demonstrating the meekness and gentleness of Jesus. Hmm. Maybe we'll make that our unofficial second mission statement. Declaring and demonstrating the meekness and gentleness of Jesus. That's not a bad personal mission statement to have. In fact, that should be our goal every morning when we wake up every day, right? We should pray, Holy Spirit, help me to declare and demonstrate the meekness and gentleness of Jesus today. That prayer will change your life. And as an extra bonus, it will make you an enjoyable person to be around And isn't that also what we want for our kids as well? Don't we want our kids to grow up and be gentle people? Then we need to expose them to Jesus. Let me ask you, do you really want to make a difference in your life and in your family and in your church and in your work, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your city? Then be gentle. Be meek. And if you do, you will be the tangible presence of Jesus wherever you go. And listen, you will stand out like a sore thumb, won't you? Be gentle, be kind to people. And they'll be like, oh, what are you doing? Our world is just allergic to kindness and gentleness. So people will be skeptical, like, what do you want? What's going on? I'm just trying to be kind and gentle, right? And you know what else might happen? You might even help usher in revival. So imagine that. What if revival came to the central coast of California because every church and every believer in town showed the meekness and gentleness of Christ to others? What if we gentled our way to revival? What if California, the state of California, was transformed because churches became places that declared and demonstrated the meekness and gentleness of Christ? Now, that would be something, wouldn't it? People would be asking, what happened? How did revival come to California? We weren't jerks. We were gentle with people, kind. And the Spirit just was like, here you go. It seems like something Jesus would affirm too, right? After all, isn't that kind of what he was getting at when he said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my my disciples if you have love for one another? Listen, meekness and gentleness, though not at the top of the list of what most churches and Christians would focus on, meekness and gentleness adorn the gospel and reveal Jesus powerfully. So let's go for it. Let's be like the real Jesus. 
so that the central coast takes notice. You want to be like Jesus? Be gentle. To quote Jack Miller again, he said, if we walk with Jesus, we will begin to take on both his lamb-like gentleness and his lion-like courage. So that's what we're shooting for. And definitely what we need to navigate today's cultural climate. We need lamb-like gentleness and lion-like courage. We need steel spines and soft hearts. But too often, we're just mean, aren't we? Listen, being mean is so easy, right? We can do that in our sleep. I don't have to work at being mean. I mean, it just comes naturally. We don't have to work at it. It just flows right out of our hearts, doesn't it? Being mean is easy, but it takes a work of the Spirit of God if we are to have a calm, gracious disposition that is not given to retaliation or malice. Meekness and gentleness require a work of the Spirit. In fact, it is, as we'll see in next week's passage, it's actually spiritual warfare. More on that next week. You might be surprised at what Paul means when he mentions the weapons of our warfare, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. In verse 1, Paul shows us that meekness and gentleness is his prophetic edge. This is where Paul leads from. There is a calmness in his heart that comes through in verse 1. Gentleness and meekness and humility were a core part of Paul's philosophy of ministry. For instance, in Ephesians 4, Paul says this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all blank. Now, how would you finish that sentence? Perhaps something like, you know, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all discipline, with all passion, with all boldness, with all strength, with all sacrifice. But Paul says, with all humility and gentleness. Wow, Paul. How do we walk in a manner worthy of our calling? How is we as Christians today in our cultural climate where everybody's on edge? Everybody's tense? Everybody has opinions? Did you know that everybody has an opinion of everything happening in our world today? Did you know that? Did you know everybody has an opinion about masks and vaccines and the government, etc.? I don't know if you knew that or not, but I thought I'd let you know. Everybody has an opinion. How do we walk in a manner worthy of our calling as Christians in a world where everybody's on edge? Paul says, with humility and gentleness. That, my friends, is Christian maturity. That is the litmus test of whether the gospel is at work in your heart. Not how much Bible you read every day, or how long you pray, or how many meals you fast, or how much you give financially. Anybody can do those things. You can read a whole lot of the Bible and still be a jerk, can't you? And you've probably encountered those people on Facebook, haven't you? You can read a whole lot of the Bible and still be a jerk, Anybody can pray and fast and give. Even false religions do those things. But humility and gentleness is what it means to be a Christian, to be in union with Christ. And so the virtues that Paul goes on to list in Ephesians 4 after this, humility, gentleness, 
patience, bearing with one another, eager for unity and peace, all of that is Christian maturity. Not how much you pray, not how much you read your Bible. And believe it or not, the super apostles had deceived the Corinthians into thinking that Paul's humility was actually him just being weak, him being wimpy, him being a pansy. Look again at verse 1. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. You need to read those words humble and bold in air quotes. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold when I am away. The Corinthian church had bought the lives of these false apostles, and they began to believe that one, line number one, that meekness equals weakness. The super apostles told the Corinthians that because Paul was humble, because he was meek, therefore Paul was a weak person. He's kind of wimpy. They took humility not as a virtue of the Spirit. They took it as something that actually disqualified Paul from flashy, arrogant, outspoken, swagger, dense leadership, which is exactly how the super apostles viewed leadership. And then lie number two, they said Paul was bold when away, but in person he was wimpy. The super apostles were basically saying, Paul's weak. He's a wimp. He's bold in his letters. Oh, yeah. But when he shows up in person, he's not much to look at. The super apostles and those Corinthians who had sided with them were saying, oh, brother Paul, he writes these big, demanding, macho, Hulk Hogan-esque letters when he's far away. But wait till you see him in person. He's like Pee Wee Herman. He's bold when away, but soft and weak sauce when face to face. As we'll see in the coming weeks, the super apostles were full of themselves. They were narcissists. They made ministry about them. They had to be the center of attention. They made every conversation Circle back to them. They were full of pride, arrogance, and swagger. In contrast, Paul was humble and meek and gentle. Why? Paul was gentle with the Corinthians, not because he was a short, bald, bow-legged man with a unibrow, but because that's how Jesus was with Paul. As Hebrews 5.2 tells us, Jesus knows how to deal gently with us. Paul experienced that gentleness, that dealing gently from Jesus, and it changed how he treated others. And Paul was humble because he spent time with Jesus. He knew his Savior intimately. And that's how you and I can become gentle. We have to spend time with Jesus, the one who is gentle with us, the one who knows how to deal gently with us. And we have to pray that the Spirit of God would cultivate this virtue in our hearts. Now, one way that we want to help you as a church become gentle like Jesus is by giving you a book today for free. 
we're going to give you a free book today. Crossway Books was generous to send us 200 copies of Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. I cannot tell you how good this book is, okay? And we're going to give every family a copy today, all right? Courtesy of Crossway. Thank you, Crossway. Here's what Dane Ortland says about Jesus from this book. I want to read a sample to you, okay? Listen as he describes your Savior, Christian. Jesus does not throw his hands up in the air when he engages sinners. He is calm, tender, soothing, restrained. He deals with us gently. When Hebrews 5.2 says that Jesus can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, the point is that Jesus deals gently and only gently with all sinners who come to him, irrespective of their particular offense and just how heinous it is. What elicits tenderness from Jesus is not the severity of the sin, but whether the sinner comes to him. Whatever our offense... He deals gently with us. If we never come to him, we will experience a judgment so fierce it will be like a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth at us. If we do come to him, as fierce as his lion-like judgment would have been against us, so deep will be his lamb-like tenderness for us. We will be enveloped in one or the other. To no one will Jesus be neutral. Consider what all this means. When we sin, we are encouraged to bring our mess to Jesus because he will know just how to receive us. He doesn't handle us roughly. He doesn't scowl or scold. He doesn't lash out the way many of our parents did. And all this restraint on his part is not because he has a diluted view of our sinfulness. He knows our sinfulness far more deeply than we do. Indeed, we are aware of just the tip of the iceberg of our depravity, even in our most searching moments of self-knowledge. His restraint simply flows from his tender heart for his people. Hebrews is not just telling us that instead of scolding us, Jesus loves us. It's telling us the kind of love he has. Rather than dispensing grace to us from on high, he gets down with us. He puts his arm around. He deals with us in the way that is just what we need. He deals gently with us. Jesus can no more bring himself to stiff arm you than the loving father of a crying newborn can bring himself to stiff arm his dear child. Jesus' heart is drawn out to you. Nothing can chain his affections to heaven. His heart is too swollen with endearing love. This very care, this gentle dealing with all kinds of sinners is what is most natural to him. When Jesus deals gently with us, he is doing what is most fitting and natural to him. Look to Christ. He deals gently with you. It's the only way he knows how to be. He is the high priest to end all high priests. As long as you fix your attention on your sin, you will fail to see how you can be safe. But as long as you look to this high priest, you will fail to see how you can be in danger. Looking inside ourselves, we can only anticipate harshness from heaven. Looking out to Christ, we can anticipate only 
gentleness. Isn't that good? That's why we're giving away copies of this book today. We want you to read about how gentle Jesus is. You can go to either one of the welcome centers and pick up a copy. Now, we do ask you that you just take one per family because we want every family to get one of these. So please don't grab two or three, just one copy. And take this book, which is full of Scripture, full of God's Word, and read it and begin to see just how loving and kind and merciful and generous and meek and gentle Jesus really is. Observe Jesus in this book and then follow him as a disciple. Get acquainted with your Savior and begin to know him even more intimately. And then as you read it, ask the Holy Spirit to cultivate the virtue of gentleness in your heart. And pray, Holy Spirit, help me to declare and demonstrate the meekness and gentleness of Jesus with my life. Maybe you haven't been gentle lately. Maybe you've been crabby and cranky with others. Sinfully crabby and cranky with others. There's grace for that too. Jesus died for irritable sinners. And that is such good news for this guy. Jesus died for irritable sinners. So look to Christ. He deals gently with you. It's the only way he knows how to be. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, there's no one more gentle with us than you are. Your gentleness is evident to anyone who gets even remotely close to you. There's no one as welcoming of sinners, as kind to the broken, as understanding of strugglers than you. You're gentle, yet persistent, gentle, but firm, gentle, and so very powerful. We praise you today for the endless supply of your compassion and kind-heartedness. You never get nervous, flustered, agitated, or hurried. You're the perfect surgeon, the one we want working on us, the one we must have at work in us if we are to become a truly gentle church. You have a steady hand because of your steady heart. And so by the power of the gospel and the riches of grace, gentle us, Lord. Make us people whose gentleness is evident to all, not just evident to the people who are easy for us to be with. We ask these things in your name. Amen.